Carol is my super soaker wife. And I just want to mention briefly, she has a book at the back, somewhere back there, called Soaking in the Spirit. And that's a term that we, we coined uh, really from Francis McNutt, who used it more generally in terms of soaking people for healing. And we do that too. And so when you're praying for healing, don't just give them the quick five-second prayer and then move on. But we found if you spend time with them and let the anointing keep flowing in, much more happens. And so in a general sense, when you're receiving the Spirit and you find yourself on the floor perhaps, don't struggle to get up too quickly, but keep staying there and let the Lord keep coming and filling you and filling you and filling you. And that's been one of our secrets, hasn't it, babe? Just to... Never run out of oil. Stay full. So tell your friend, stay full. And have a look at Carol's book. That might really encourage you. Well, I want to talk to you today on the subject, where is the promise of his coming? And there's a wonderful verse over in the book of Revelation Right at the very end, chapter 22, and it says this in verse 20. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And that's how the book ends, friends. With the promise of his coming. Now, I don't know about you, but with our framework, you know, people live 90, 80 years, whatever, but 2,000 years doesn't sound like soon to me. But it's soon to him. But as we look into this today, I think you perhaps will agree that we are coming up on some very, very, very important things. And I'd like, maybe you could take notes or at least write the scriptures down so that, that you can... Um, meditate on these things and think about them yourselves. But let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 4 and 4 to 15, where it says this, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now that's an observation. We still have wars, we still have problems, we have family problems, we have sickness, we have people dying, people being born, people getting married, we're building, we're shifting, we're always, uh, uh, life goes on, right? And so where is the promise of his coming? And there are many people have, have gotten disillusioned with the greatest hope of the church because the coming of Jesus is more sure than tomorrow's sunrise. He is planning on taking over the planet. And he'll build a new world order, not just uh, a fabricated uh, idea about it, but actually it's going to be new from top to bottom once he's done. How many are looking forward to that? 
The promise of the Lord's coming is an often recurring theme in Scripture. And I want you to know it's very, very important to him. And it should be also to us. It's the great hope of the church. It's transcending this life and leading you and I to the main event, which is into the kingdom of God. And I want to touch on um, scriptures that are like timestamps for us that help us see just exactly where we are. And if you want to know what time it is on God's calendar, you need to have a good long look at the nation Israel, generally speaking. But here we, we see that uh, the, the, the story in Daniel has to do with the captives where the Jewish kingdom has ended uh, Israel has ended the northern kingdom. Judah has now ended the southern kingdom. And they're captives in Babylon. And the king there, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And he's astute enough not to tell the dream to the wise men and the astrologers and all those. Because he figures they would come up with some sort of a, an answer to what it might mean. So he says, no. You tell me the dream, and then that gives credibility to the interpretation. They say, this is impossible. He says, all right, then you're all going to die. Well, that put the pressure on. Daniel asked for a couple of days, and he pressed in and found out from the Lord what was going on. And you remember the dream he told him. Here's what your dream was. There was this giant statue with a head of gold, arms of silver, a body of brass, and legs of iron and clay. And he says they represent actually five empires. You, Babylon, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. You can see him go, oh, okay, I'm the head of gold. Then comes a kingdom inferior to yours, like arms of silver, Medes and Persians. Then Alexander the Great, the body of brass. And finally, Rome the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire were the, were the legs of iron. And then it ends with feet of iron and clay, partly strong and partly weak. And we're down to the feet, ladies and gentlemen, which are the democracies of this world, partly strong and, as we know, partly weak. But you'll be happy to learn that democracy is going to come to a sudden end one day when the king of all kings returns and takes his rightful place. And Daniel goes on in chapter 2 that says, in the days of those kings, the, the days of the feet and toes, there will be a stone cut out of a mountain without hands that will strike that image on the feet and the whole thing will come crashing down and blow away like dust on the threshing floor. And then that stone will become, will grow like a mountain and fill the whole earth as King Jesus takes his rightful place. Now, how many are excited about that? And I want to say to the young people, this is the best news you've ever heard, not the worst news. It's like, wait a minute, I want to go to college, I want to get married, I want to have... My family, I wanted this and I wanted that. 
You're better off having all of that Well, Jesus is king because it'll be a kingdom of love and a kingdom of peace and a kingdom of joy uh, and at his right hand pleasure forevermore. I mean, talk about a kingdom. It's absolutely amazing. It's the great hope of his coming. It's the highlight of civilization on earth. And, you know, there's one thing that you need to know about a king. Um, you don't get to vote on what happens anymore. I'm sure he has advisors. But at the end of the day, he's going to do it his way. And I want to say that about his second coming. He's not coming back when you think it's right. Just let that settle in. He's coming back when he thinks it's right. And I can tell you, he is most anxious for his bride. Ah, wow, have we got exciting days. Now, I believe he is coming, returning in two parts. And if you list all the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, about the return of the Lord, you'll see a number of them were referring to his first coming, okay? Uh, he'll be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He will be uh, a whole number of things. Read the Gospel of Matthew and it, and it goes on and on. That it might be fulfilled what was written by the prophet saying, and all these prophecies came true and Jesus fulfilled them at his first coming. But for everyone that is his first coming, I think there's about 400 of them. There is about 1,600 of them that refer to his second coming. And you can divide those scriptures into columns or two groups. And the first group is where he comes for his bride and then returns a bit later with his bride. And so... I believe, and I've gone full circle on this, and yeah, I've been all over the place trying to figure it out, like you, but I'm back now to totally, solidly believing in the rapture. He is coming first for his bride. It'll be a secret coming, and it'll be a total surprise. Two will be working in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two will be sleeping in a bed. One taken, the other left. Two will be grinding at a mill, two women. One will be taken, the other left. They said, where, Lord? He says, where, where the body is, that's where the eagles are gathered. To. The kind of a, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that, Dunk, because it's kind of an obscure analogy. But see, we are to feast on Jesus. That's where we're going. Where he is, that's where we're going to gather. Now, the greatest privilege and opportunity for any of us is to go on that first airlift. There's going to be two or three others, you know, the, the two witnesses in Revelation, they get raptured. The, the, the 144,000, I think they appear in heaven, so seemingly they get raptured too. And uh, 
eventually everybody gets transformed and or judged. But we've got some very, very exciting days coming up. Very serious days. And so I want to encourage you to not just dismiss the whole thing because it's not your cup of tea. Oh, well, I'm not interested really in the coming of the Lord if we got this and that and this and that that we're doing. And really, it's all so confusing. I just put it off. And I did that myself for a while. I said, Lord, I don't know. What, come whenever you come. We're just going to get on with it and build the kingdom, which is partly what we're called to do. But we're never to drop out of treasuring the great hope of the church within us because it's absolutely going to be our highlight. Now let's go to a scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. And you can write that down. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 to 17. Paul's writing, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that is, the, the ones who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So see, Paul expected that he was going to be one of those who would rise to meet the Lord in the air. Well, it turns out he wasn't because it took a lot longer than he thought. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And there's that word rapture. Uh, people say it's not in the Bible, that word rapture. No, it's a Latin word. It's in the Latin Bible. The Greek word is harpazo. It's in the New Testament, I believe, 13 times. Fascinating word study if you want to do it. But it's there, and it means exactly that. Snatched suddenly or caught up suddenly will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words so just turn to your friend and say hey whatever you're going through right now there's a day coming when you're going to be suddenly in the presence of Jesus and everything's going to change and you know happy forever after. Won't that be quite the day? Oh, and all of earth is just travailing and longing for all of these things. Now this whole teaching of the rapture or the harpazo is perhaps the most preposterous teaching in all of the Bible. It is just like mind-blowing. Let's suppose, let me be conservative, there are 500 million Christians who have gone before us and now they have died and they're with the Lord. Would that be a reasonable number? 500 million? Let's suppose there's another 500 million Christians born again 
in love with Jesus, oiled up, ready to go, on earth, alive. This scripture is saying that both groups are going to be instantly changed in a moment in a secret coming, unexpected coming of the Lord Jesus. The dead in Christ will rise first. Do you know when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, there on the, on the feast of first fruits, he didn't rise alone. There were other saints who rose with him and they were seen throughout Jerusalem. And you ever wonder, who were those people? I mean, was it people like Abraham and Isaac? Or was it maybe people who were followers of Jesus, but they died during the three and a half years of his ministry, maybe? But there was a first fruits group that rose with him as a wave offering before the Lord to fulfill the feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits, all in that week. And so just as that happened, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. It's as the tombs were overturned in Jerusalem during that time. To me, this is like, seriously? Yeah. It's amazing. When God intervenes, the shockwave will not be really appreciated until way after the fact because it is a game changer like never before. Now the scripture goes on, chapter 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. See, it's, it's coming at a time when people don't expect. When they say peace and safety, here's a clue, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Who is the them? The people in the world that aren't really living for the Lord. See, They'll come as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Labor pains are going on right now, by the way, on the earth. You know, contractions, they're mild at first, but they get more and more frequent and more and more intense until the baby's born. And the Lord says it's going to be like that. But you, brethren, brothers and sisters, you are not in the darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, you're supposed to pick up on the clues and I have a heads up again and again that these things are coming upon us soon. We don't know the day or the hour, but we're supposed to know the season generally. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the helmet of salvation. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other 
and edify one another just as you also are doing. Now you'll hear comments like this. Why should Canada escape? Why should America escape? Uh, the, the, the trouble that's coming has come to every nation. And I want you to know there's a difference between the wrath of God and the outpouring of his justice. There's a difference there to what we would call persecution going on in the world that's even directed against the Christian church. The persecution that happens in China, the persecution that's happening right now in Africa and Mozambique with Heidi and Roland and others, that's uh, coming from people instigated by the enemy. Can you see the difference? But when God says, okay, time's up, enough of this, and he, he deals with it, he rescues his people out of that judgment as he pours out wrath and judgment on the earth after warning, after warning, after warning. God did not appoint you to come under his wrath. He appointed you to come under his salvation. And that, mean, that word means your rescue. Are you okay with being rescued? Now, I think this part is optional. I think you can go through it if you want to. But there's other scriptures, like in Luke 21, that said, watch and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming on the earth. Now, this is a long topic, friends, and you can write many volumes about it all. But I just want to give you some scriptures to think about. And there's, there's a parallel here with John 14, verse 3 where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the disciples were upset that Jesus says, by the way, I'm leaving. And they, they haven't even dealt with the crucifixion yet. But he's just saying, where I'm going, you can't come right now, but you'll come later. And, and so they're, they're saying, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I'm the way, he says. And where we're going is to the Father. And so John chapter 3, uh, sorry, 14, sorry, chapter 14, verse 3. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And what? Receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Now, where is Jesus right now? He's with the Father in heaven, right? And so there's a rally there. And see, there, the theologians believe that when the Lord comes for the first time, he gathers up his bride, uh, part A, and they go to the wedding feast while all this trouble is going on on the earth. And many theologians agree that the tribulation period, the time of the wrath of God on earth, is going to be seven years long. Daniel's 70th week and many other scriptures in, uh, in, in, in Daniel chapter 9. And, but especially the last half of that seven years. Terrible trouble. How many have read the book of Revelation? 
Half the world's population dies in the book of Revelation. One quarter first, and secondly, a third of the remainder, which is another quarter. Half. Personally, I would like to escape that if there's a way out. And so don't let people talk you into uh, things that the scripture makes it clear. Just like he delivered Noah from the flood, just like he delivered Lot from the destruction in Sodom. It, th these, are, these are examples of how God delivers his own. And even at that, Lot's wife turned back, didn't she? And Jesus said, remember her. Don't do like she did. Friends, there's a wonderful reversal of everything that is wrong with planet Earth right now that's about to get fixed. And I want it to be the deep, deep longing in your heart. Because where we're going is to the kingdom of love. Now, when Carol and I got married 42 years ago, um, yeah, there was, there was one thing. We were, we were very aware of the soon return of Jesus then. And we said, Lord, please don't come at least for one year. <laughs> we wanted to have a year together on earth before making the, the transition. But, but that aside, we, we went to Hawaii for our uh, honeymoon. And so we got all the brochures. We looked at all the islands and we looked at all the hotel. We wanted to know where it was we were going. Now, you're about to go on the greatest adventure of your life, the honeymoon of a, of a lifetime. And, you know, it's amazing to me how many people don't want to give any thought to what heaven is really going to be like. Tell the person next to you, it's going to be fantastic. It really, really is. And then we return with him to the earth while he establishes his kingdom and he's looking to use people just like you and I who have proven faithful. How many of you want to be an overcomer and prove to the Lord that you are faithful in the end? Let's see your hand. Overcomers, wave at me. Come on. Excitedly, yes. All right. Now listen, overcomers are going to need a few things to overcome. There's going to be obstacles in your life. Like what? Like financial problems, like sickness problems, like teenager problems, like th this problem, that problem, uh, to get sorted out. But don't quit. Trust God to get you through all that and be an overcomer because then you'll be just the one he's looking for to be the mayor of Raleigh in the new uh, kingdom of God and put things in order for him. How many would like to be in charge of this city and sort it out for God? Okay, that's where we're going. I will come and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you, you may be also. Now then, we're reading these scriptures from Peter and from Daniel and from uh, 1 Thessalonians. What's the difference of us reading those scriptures 
today versus someone who read them 1,000 years ago. Do you know there have been many godly people in, in, in England and in Germany and in France and in various parts of the world who read and loved these scriptures just like we do a thousand years ago. And they were trying to get their head around the hope of his coming and he didn't come. What's the difference today? How do we know there isn't another thousand years? Huh? Israel. Israel is the key to this understanding because see, God promised that he would resurrect Israel. Now, when, when those promises were given by Jesus, Israel was still uh, more or less a state under the Roman government in, in a sense, but still they had their own religion and their own language and stuff like that going on. And Jesus prophesied to them that judgment was coming. And he said, upon you is going to come the responsibility for the death of all the prophets, um, all of them, including John the Baptist, all the way up, all of them, is going to come on this generation. And you're like, really? And, and sure enough, 70 AD, about 40 years after his death, if he died in 30 AD, then it was, it was 40 years exactly when Rome destroyed that nation. About a million died from Jerusalem and... The rest were sold into slavery. The whole thing was renamed as the Roman province of Palestine. And they obliterated the city of Jerusalem and the temple and burned it all out and built a whole new city on top of it. And those early um, believers thought Israel will never rise again. But yet the, the scriptures clearly predict it. You say, where? Read Ezekiel chapter 36. Read Ezekiel chapter 37. And you'll find God saying, I am going to restore Israel again. And actually, it's been three times. It says in there for the second time, because they've, they came back from Babylon after 70 years. And then they came back now in our time in 1948. Right? And May 14, 1948, was a timestamp for us to look at, and that changes everything because um, he, he, he said it was going to happen, and now it happened. And it's actually happened to Israel three times. He told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that this was the land he was going to give them. Then because of Joseph, they all went down to Egypt and they were there for 400 years and Moses brought them out and Joshua took them back into the promised land and they conquered powerful uh, tribes of people. Seven different nations were conquered as Israel took over that land. So it was restored to them. That's the first one. Then after Babylon, where the... the uh, Persian king, Artaxerxes, said, go and rebuild the city. And they did, according to the prophecy of Daniel. And uh, sure enough, Israel became a nation again. And that, into that nation, 
Jesus is now born. Meanwhile, it's gone from Persian occupation to Greek occupation, now to Roman occupation. And they're thinking Jesus has come to deliver us from Rome. But that didn't happen, did it? He had a better plan. He wanted to include you and I, the Gentiles. And so it just took time for people on earth to have an opportunity to say whether I want to do the right thing in life or whether I want to do the selfish thing and, you know, push my, my way ahead. Because he wants to know the answer to that question. He expects us to know when. Matthew 6, 3. Jesus is speaking. You hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. I want you to learn to discern the signs of the times. You're not going to get the exact day, but you should get a ballpark date, right? Let's go to um, the parable of the fig tree from Matthew uh, 24:32. Israel is a type of the fig tree. We, we can learn that from Jeremiah 24, verse 1, where we see there two baskets of figs, one good, one rotten, and the Lord says, uh, these figs are the house of Israel. You remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Anybody read that story? Have you wondered about that? I sure did. It, I wondered for the longest time, why did, why did you do that, Lord? It just Because basically, you're a nice guy. You don't overreact, and you, you're peaceful, and you're kind, and you're good, and all of that. Uh, you went to the fig tree, and you found nothing but leaves, and he cursed it, said, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. And so they went into the city, and out, and then on their way back in the next day, Peter and the disciples go, wow, Lord, the fig tree that you cursed, it's dried up to the roots. And he said, yeah, I know. Um, and you can do stuff like that too, if you have faith. And he didn't really explain it until here. This is now where the fig tree is coming to life again. And Matthew 24, uh, verse 32, and I'll read to 35. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now what does summer mean? What? Harvest. See, to us it means Beach, vacation, you know, warm seas, whatever. But to most people through the centuries, summer is when you get your harvest. Your, your grain first, and then your vegetables, and then your, then your grapes and your wine harvest. It's the summer season of harvest. When you see the fig tree growing, putting out its leaves, you know that the harvest is near. 
So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is at the doors, near, at the doors. Um, he expects us to connect these two. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When you see Israel a nation again. And then he says this, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Lord, what generation are you talking about? It could not have been the generation that heard him say those words, could it? Because they're long gone. It must be the generation that sees the fig tree blossoming and blooming again. So this really fits. This is a one-generation prophecy. And then he doubles down on it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. In other words, you could take this one to the bank. This is going to happen. So now we need to wonder about what is a generation in Scripture. And the, the, I guess the short answer is we don't know exactly. But if you go to Psalm 90, verse 10, you'll see that man is given 70 years, and if by reason of strength, up to 80. But 80 is kind of the, 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 the high point, right? And so Israel became a nation in 1948. Uh, June the 14th. Imagine going 80 years from there. If the Lord's saying it's all going to wind up in about 80 years, give or take, where does that put us? Do the math. 2028. 2028, which is seven years away, yeah. And since the time of tribulation on earth is probably about seven years, especially the last half, as I said, and since the wedding in heaven is about seven years, because a Jewish wedding lasted a week, seven days, that would mean the rapture could happen this year. How many would be happy about that? How many young people would be happy about that? I mean, think about it. The greatest event in the history of the planet since creation could happen even this year. Woo! Very, very important scriptures. Mm. Israel restored. Jerusalem is the next one. Uh, Israel's united capital. If you read the prophecy of Jesus from Luke 21, 24, um, he says Jerusalem will be occupied by the Gentile nations until, say until, the time of those nations is fulfilled. The time of them running everything is starting to come to an end. 1967, Gordon and CBN did an amazing documentary about the taking of the old city of Jerusalem. 
It is so supernatural, friends. The Israeli, uh, uh, I think it was part of their Air Corps paratrooper division that took the city and they were shocked at how easy it was. I was in Bible school at the time, glued to the TV, watching every detail I could get on the Six-Day War. And that event happened 54 years ago, friends. So here we have Israel, a nation for 73 years, Jerusalem, their capital now, for 74 years. Can you see that we're kind of at the end of a a period here where it can't, we can't push it much further. Where it's leading up to is Ezekiel's war. You can read it in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where the armies of, the, the, it looks like Russia, but for sure Iran and Libya and several others come against them with a horde. And you know what happens? God intervenes and Israel wins the war. And on the back of that, they'll probably rebuild their temple. And so there's a lot of stuff to go down in, in the next few years. And the biggest thing is a global harvest needs to come in. How many have friends that need to get saved? Need to get right with God? I mean, and so whatever we do, I think we need to get on with it. Because things are are really running out of time. Now, one last point on that. These are things that are time-stamped to mean it can't go on another thousand years. This generation is not going to pass away until everything is be fulfilled. This last one is when Jesus spoke in uh, Matthew uh, 24, verse 14. He said this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, when's the end going to come? When the gospel has gone to all the nations. Now, notice it doesn't say to every individual, but to all the nations. you know there are Christian churches in every nation, including North Korea? including Saudi Arabia. I mean, in all the nations, there are communities of Christians and a witness to the gospel. Not only that, you don't have to smuggle Bibles anymore. You just get out your cell phone and you download it in Farsi or Hindi or whatever language you prefer. And now you've got the word of God. You can read. If you can read, you can read it. If you can't read, you get the audio version and they'll read it to you. The gospel of the kingdom is being declared throughout the whole world. And when you see that, it says, then the end will come. Now that's not me saying it, that's Jesus saying that. I think we should listen to him. Oh, I love it, Lord. Now, there's one last piece, now that we're out of time. And that's Matthew 22, verse 2, which says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who's preparing a wedding for his son. 
And the shocking thing is that as the, as the servants went out and invited people, they were too busy. They said, well, I just got married. I can't come. And others said, I've just bought a business. I can't go. And another said, I've just bought a farm and I've got all these teams of oxen. I've got to go try them out. I can't go. Listen, the invitation to that wedding is something you want to put at the top of your priorities. If the Queen of England was to invite you to some sort of a royal function, most of you would find a way to get there. Carol and I got an invitation to go to see Pope Francis. We made it happen. Didn't we, love? It wasn't convenient. We were hemmed right in on all sides, but we had Duncan's daughter's wedding on the front end and then on the back end, and then we had meetings somewhere on the front, and we had three days to go to Italy and back. But we thought, it's not every day you get an invitation. And we had three hours with him. It was great. It was amazing. And he gave us his book, which was called The Joy of Salvation, The Joy of the Gospel, a fantastic book. Anyway, when you realize you are invited to this wedding, I want you to put it at the top of your priority list. So from there, we go to Matthew 25. The first 13 verses. And this is a precious story about 10 virgins. They were all waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five were wise and five were foolish. And so we need to see what the difference is. And I'll just paraphrase it to save time. They were all waiting for the bridegroom to come. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell asleep. And because Carol had a powerful vision about all this, about three or four weeks into our revival in 1994, I made a point to read and reread that passage. I must have read it 50 times. I didn't want to miss anything. And I came to that part where they all slumbered and slept. And I stopped right there. I said, Lord, I don't feel like I'm asleep. I feel like I'm more wide awake than I've ever been. We're in the middle of this raging revival. The Holy Spirit is coming so powerfully. People are coming from the nations, from all over the country, here and there. And people are getting saved and healed and blessed and filled. And in the midst of my little rant, he interrupted me and he said, you are asleep concerning the message of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it just went into my heart like a sword. And I realized it was true. I hadn't preached on this subject for at least 10 years. I got so turned off with date setters and and people, you know, like when you're young and you're learning and all the things of the gospel, you're like, wow, he could come soon? Really? Okay, let's, let's gear up for it. But see, no, we have to hold two things in tension, friends. Perhaps today, on the other hand, you may get to live out your life. I don't think anyone's got this worked out perfectly. But we, we need to prepare ourselves for the highlight of humanity, the return of Christ 
for his bride and to the earth. Can you manage that? All right. So while the bridegroom is delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But then at midnight, a cry was heard. The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. That's the suddenly that we need to be prepared for. Because they, they, all the virgins woke up. These are all the churchgoers, you know. Some were more spiritual than others. Some had the foresight to bring extra oil. Exactly like you would do, Kate. Well, if he's longer than we think, we better bring extra oil so that you know, we can keep our lamp going. Five were foolish, however, and did not take extra oil. And so they're saying, hey, we're out of oil. Can, you, can we borrow some of your oil? And the wise said, no, lest there not be enough for us and you. Go to those who buy and, and buy more for yourselves. Meanwhile, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went into the wedding and the door was shut. Now here's the sobering point. Five got to go somewhere that the others did not get to go. Why not? Well, they came back after a while, knocking on the door, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he says, well, I don't know you. I never knew you. And they were denied entry. And it's interesting in the Greek, because he doesn't use the word gnosko, which would mean yeah, I know about you. I, I got your name and your address and, and your social security number. I know all about you. He's not saying that. He uses the word ido, idon, which means to see. I never saw you. We never looked into each other's eyes with intimacy. I never saw you weeping before me, pouring out your heart in love. You were busy with planning and doing your own life. And, you know, you weren't, you weren't into it the same way. You know, I learned this too. When, when my youngest granddaughter, Jackie, got married, she was so consumed with her marriage. And I'm sure you, you and Kate can relate, Dunk, because you just have married off three daughters. But, but Jackie, I'd say, Jackie... How's university going? Oh, great. But Papa, have you seen my website? With all the, all the things that people are, are, are promising to give for our wedding and this and that and the other. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's great. How's your little job that you have going? Oh, that's fine. But you are going to come to the wedding, aren't you, Papa? <laughs> Please be there. Cancel whatever you have to cancel, but be at the wedding. <laughs> And I'm like, I will. But it, it fascinated me how fixated she was on the wedding. And it spoke to my heart. And I said, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to be a bride like that. I want to be absolutely fixated on your wedding. Because that would be the highlight of my life. <sighs> Put your hand up if you want that.
Friends, he's not coming when you think it's right. Well, Lord, wait till I graduate and then you can come. No, it's going to be a surprise. The first is a secret coming, like a thief in the night. The next is a public coming where every eye will see him. And when I, when I worked that out with Matthew 25, I made up my mind. I want to be with the wise guys. I really do. How many want to be with the wise? You know, their secret was they were in love with him. That's what the extra oil is. It's about a wedding, you know. He's, he's coming for them to go to the wedding. This, this is about intimacy here. The Holy Spirit is not so much about you getting power to build your tremendous ministry. It's about you receiving the power of intimacy so you can fall in love with your bridegroom king and start preparing your heart to enjoy him forever. Wow. Let's all stand, shall we? If this ministers to you and you figure, you know, I've gotten pretty busy in life. The cares of this life are all around me. I maybe need to refocus a bit and make sure my heart is in love with his heart. Because actually, he's, he's a heart God, much more than a head God. And he wants your heart. He wants you to be in love with him. Because his kingdom is a love kingdom. It's not about achieving so much as it is about loving. It took me years to learn that, friends. But if you know that you need extra oil, you, you, you kind of run dry or your supply is low, why don't you just hold your hand up before him and say, Lord, that's me. I need to buy oil. I've, I've just gotten careless. I've gotten busy in life. All the cares of this life are crowding all around me. I need to take a moment every day and just come before you and love on you. You know, not a day goes by that I don't tell Carol at least once, but often two or three times, I so love you, baby. And she says it back to me. You know, that, that just keeps our marriage fresh and intimate and wonderful. Jesus is the lover of all lovers. Don't get super practical with him. Fall in love with him, first and foremost. If you want to buy oil this morning, come on out of your seats and gather around the front. Maybe Put your toes on that green line there. Some of you take, take a step closer up, like more like where Duncan is. Let's have three rows, right? One at the very front, one on the green line, and then one back further by the chairs. A ministry team that's here, um, we want to pray for you guys too, but come on up. 
and begin to pray for God's people. Listen, friends, I'm calling you to get your hearts ready for the greatest event in the history of the planet since the creation. The surprise coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The dead will be raised and we who are alive will be transformed. You're going to get a brand new body. One that's thin and one that works. Won't that be great? All the imperfections gone. You're going to get your hair back and your your, your spring back and, and it's just all amazing what's coming. Father, I bless this church. I'm so proud of you. You do so many things well. The anointing in this place is just, it's home for Carol and I. It feels the same. It's what we prefer. It's what we love. But there's something better coming. And, that, and his name is King Jesus. And you know you're going to love heaven because you've already had the down payment of the Holy Spirit. You've sort of drank the Kool-Aid already. And you know it's not bad. This is good stuff. This is. ministry team go ahead catchers step up and help out but I want people to have time to buy oil the oil of intimacy so that your heart can fall in love with Jesus all over again and if you're watching from home and you're in the same place so I want to buy oil just, just get on your knees wherever you are get before the Lord if you're all alone, just pour out your heart. If you're with your spouse, join hands and just say, oh, this is what we want to do. We want to fall in love with each other and especially with him because these things are just around the corner. Father, I bless this church and these leaders, these amazing worship team and all of you who work so hard to make this place happen. I bless you. It's such a thrill to be in a meeting again with real people and not just doing it over Zoom. But even Canada now is starting to open up, thank God. But I'm going to hand it over to Duncan and ministry team, go for it.